Great big good morning. morning. (laughs) Wonderful to have you joining us here. Pastor Chuck Blair, whether you're joining us from our studio audience here in Bernathan, Pennsylvania, you're joining us from all over the place, it's wonderful to have you here today. And it's, it's just interesting hearing, you know, with the way church works now, like we get comments throughout the week, and I realize you may well be watching our live service, you know, next Saturday morning at, I don't know, 7 a.m. Regardless, it's wonderful to have you here, whether it's live or archived, wonderful to have you just part of our community here as, as we try to really look at these things that we hope make just not our lives better, makes our family lives better, makes our communities better, and hopefully makes the world better. And it's it's based on this premise, folks, that we're trying to get love centered to our lives, just that simple. And it's this this series we've been working on, is a series on commitment, and the idea of commitment is really significant. I'd ask you to consider this. Probably what you'll most be known for when the good Lord calls you home are your commitments. Where did you show up in a committed way? So it's worthwhile to think, worthwhile to have a conversation. What are your primary commitments? And today we're looking at the commitment around doing the work. What does it mean to actually do the work? Because it's not just, you know, uh, spirituality, having a spiritual life, it's not just rainbows and unicorns. (laughs) It actually has an element of work and challenge and has an element of a lot of things that sometimes are rather difficult in our lives. And, and we can work with that, but, but it gives us this container to work with life. And it's a beautiful container. You know, I know for me, sometimes I wonder, yeah, how do people do it if they don't have that container? Because with faith, it doesn't save you from the problems of the world or the problems of life or the problems of relationship. It just gives you a way to hold it with meaning and tenderness and love and to hear things that are, that are bigger and higher than we are, than our egos are. The whole thing about doing the work is just this simple process, folks, of where we move from being self-centered to selfless. Self-centered to selfless. Now, when we say selfless, it doesn't mean you disappear as a person. Not, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. You want to watch somebody who's truly selfless. Watch somebody who's totally in the flow. Watch someone who is doing the work that from all time God intended them to do. And it just, it just flows. I get amazed watching, watching singers. We have beautiful musicians here. And, and, you know, and to watch them and to watch their whole bodies sing. Like, that's what selflessness actually looks like. It doesn't look like a nothingness. No, it's where you're so into the usefulness. The, you're so into what you're doing that your ego just disappears and you're just doing it. Just doing the thing. So I want to share with you you know, an idea about, about what the problem might be. The problem being selfishness, you could say egotism, you could say narcissism. So I'm going to step down here to do that. Now, we share this space with a high school and a college. It's a performing arts center. So we're, we're extremely lucky with those things that we get to have, uh, you know, on occasion, these stage setups. They're doing Once Upon a Mattress. That's why you see all this here. It's not New Church Live stuff. This is stuff from the Academy of the New Church. And I was thinking last night, you know, so much of the challenge with selfishness is is that what we think is we see life just as a play. And guess what? We wrote the script. And we wrote the script, and we're like reading along, and we're sure. We've got you assigned to a role, 
and you assigned a role and you've got a part and you're singing lead and then you're gonna do this and then you're, we got it all. We got it all set up with the way we are sure life is going to work. We have this script. Well, how well does that work? How many people have followed your script perfectly? <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. And, and if we have a script that's based on ego and narcissism, what it does is we look at the world and we look at these chairs and we're like, no, 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 I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need you to do this. I need to have it look all just all in a line. It needs to all be perfect, but it's my perfect. Now, I want to offer a caveat here. I'm not saying that, that we don't have things to say to the world. I'm not saying we don't have things where we need to take control. You know, if there's a fire in the building, please, someone take control. But it means that, that if we're too script-based, if we're really trying to arrange our world constantly, I mean, folks, just, just, just think of this morning. Did you, woke, did you wake up and was your primary emotion worry over a problem or gratitude about having woken up? Probably most of us, it was worry about a problem, right? And why is that? Well, that's because you've got a script and the script isn't quite being followed. So then if you're like me, then all of a sudden it's this perseveration and uh, catastrophizing where I just like take these problems and, and my ego just spins and spins and spins and spins. So, so I take my life, I shift it over here into my script. It's not matching my script. So all these problems just go around in my head a million times, a million times, a million times. And the worry just compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds. Is that a fun way to live life? <laughs> you know, not terribly. And it's not about not having a script per se. It's about having parameters. It's a quote I use all the time. We used it last week. A river without banks is a puddle. You know, you have to have banks to the river. But you got to be really careful about what your script is. And if you find yourself forever frustrated because you're over here, you're in charge of the play, nobody's playing the right, right roles, you're setting yourself up for a life that's just filled with problems, folks, because people are never going to fill the roles the right way. Ever. Ever. They just won't. Anybody in here with teenagers knows exactly what I'm talking about. But can we allow there to be this flow? This idea, Martha Graham, another quote I love, the athletes of God wrestled and grew strong. They chose and they acted. Can we allow for there to be this wrestling in life where we actually put down the script a little bit and maybe even for a time just take a seat and see ourselves as part of versus in charge of? I want to say that one more time. Where we see ourselves as part of not in charge of. You can even, folks, this is a whole nother sermon, a whole nother series, you can even lead from that place of where you really get clear. I'm part of, I'm not in charge of. So that becomes super important, folks, and, and, and to try to understand that script and, and how our scripts work and, and how, we can, how we can move beyond a life that just is defined constantly by problems and not by opportunities, how we can maybe shift that and what I'd like for, to do right now is, is at New Church Live, we do a lot of this. We text a lot in church. We do that on purpose because the vast majority of our audience joins us from online, all different time zones, all across the country. It gives us a chance to kind of participate in the service together.
And the question I want to share with you today, and I'm going to say this, and I want to say it with a smile. Where is control showing up for you? Speak to me. You know, where's this control battle for you? I want you to just, just, what's the thought? Like, speak to me on it. Tell me what you know about that battle. Tell me what you know about it. Again, Anne Lamont, this beautiful quote, she says, I am a control enthusiast. I think most of us are control enthusiasts. Most of us have that script. We want everyone else to follow it. When that doesn't happen, we live a problem-centered life. That's not really doing the work. Doing the work is about learning to put that script down, part of versus in charge of, that shift. Moving away from being selfish to being selfless. So I'd love for you to have a chance, just as the musicians come out here, just to share with me, like, yeah, control, speak to me. What do you know about it? What do you think about it? Where are you wrestling with it? And you can text me at 215-740-3662, 215-740-3662. And just think about it. This is a beautiful song to think about it with because it's something I think we all wrestle with. And friends, just, just think of the peace. Just think of the peace where we put down the script and we really step into the power of who God wanted from all time for you to actually be. So friends, welcome. Welcome to New Church Live. Promises I've made, the promises I've made, I continue to break them, but nothing is a waste, nothing is a waste if you learn from it. The sun does not cause us, the sun does not cause us to grow. It is the rain that will strengthen, the rain that will strengthen your soul. It will That has made us Cause we are not alone We are not alone In the dark with our demons 
We have made mistakes We have made mistakes But we learn from them In the sun it will not cause us The sun does not cause us to grow It is the rain that will strengthen The rain that will strengthen your soul It will make you whole Oh my heart, how can I face you now? We both know how badly I, how badly I have let you down. I am afraid, I am afraid. All that I've built is fading away. Oh, 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 Wow, is that a, that a beautiful song? And, and I love it because it talks about the wrestling in there. And just, just listen to some of the things that, that your fellow congregants have shared that, that are just beautiful. He's coming in from all kinds of different places, including the Caribbean, which is kind of fun, and I'm jealous. Some of the things people wrote here, um, it's really hard to acknowledge the every hair on my head teaching that Jesus gives. Despite what I know about worry and anxiety and how they accomplish nothing, health, financial security, well-being of my children, God's got it all. Peace has in its, this is a quote from New Church Theology, peace has in a confidence in the Lord that he governs all things, provides all things, and leads to a good end. Also, who among you can add a cubit to a statue? I love when God smiles, his stature. I love when God smiles. Beautiful ideas. And again, you see that wrestling there, right? Greetings from New Mexico. I struggled with an eating disorder as a teen. That was all about control when I felt I had no other control over my life. Another person writes, I have a very refined script, one in which I'm constantly expecting, my peop expecting people, myself included, to play their part with perfection. Right now, it's showing up and finding the next step in my career. And what I keep discovering is that control and trust, this is beautifully says, sermon in itself, control and trust are inversely related, correlated, and trust is where life truly flows and meaning is possible. I'm not in charge. Control for me is when at work, a task that is slow to get done, I jump in and do it even when it is not my role. Another person writes, I found I want to control through my gifts. I want to give them what I think they need. I have let myself know that loving shouldn't work that way. Another person writes, I want my house clean. After years of kids, I crave order. 
Loss of control for me is suddenly finding my life facing cancer, something I was not prepared for. Another person from out in the Midwest writes, my life is centered on trying to make sure that my kids are okay. I don't want to control them, but I want to control everything that happens to them so that they are okay. This is a good one. My timeline for loved ones projects. Yes, very true. Wanting my children to be happy and motivated. That's a beautiful one. And what I loved when I read that one, I thought, yeah, and some of these things of, some of these issues where we wrestle with control come from a good motivation. You know, actually, they're coming from a good part of our heart. Part of my life not really in charge of. So many bits went differently, and I was invited not to control, but to respond. Not to control, but to respond. And maybe today, you know, and thank you for that, and I'm sure we'll get many others on other platforms. Maybe today we can, we can just think, yeah, how do we respond to this? Like, how do, we, how do we sort of change the paradigm a little bit and see that change as part of the work? Because we're talking about what was called repentance. Repentance literally means to rethink. Most people think it means guilt trip or beat yourself up. Wrong. It actually means to rethink or reconsider or see life in a new way. And, and I want to start with this, folks. Like when we look at this idea of, of, of when the human ego is truly in charge and really, really wanting to control everything, one of the key parts of our particular view of Christianity is that it's a divine impossibility to, 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 to meet the needs of the human ego. It's a divine impossibility to meet all those needs. It just won't happen. Here's an example. You know, I was thinking, how do we bring this home? I, you know, I know for myself, many times, my ego will set up a list of things. And oftentimes, it's two or three. And it's, I will be happy when, or I will be happy if. And as soon as that happens, I'm sure I'll be happy for all time. My ego is sure it will be happy for all time. Has that worked for anyone in here? Did you ever have like the one thing and then it just happened? All of a sudden, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm happy forever now. I mean, I thought it would happen when the Steelers won their last Super Bowl. Like, you know, list goes on. Like, I mean, silly stuff even. Like, I'll finally be happy when. That's just not how it works. It's because it's a divine impossibility to satisfy the human ego. It, it can't happen. All the ego wants is this word more. The ego doesn't want to be happy. The ego wants to be happier. <laughs> and that becomes insatiable. That becomes this thing that we, we have a hard time like getting our hands around. And that's where we can really struggle with the burden of self. Like that, that selfishness can get to be such a burden, folks. And I imagine we've all had these experiences, right? These experiences of anger where, where, we, where we just saw like our ego was in charge, the world didn't go the way we wanted it to, and then there's like this explosive anger. We get angry at someone we really love. Anger, by the way, can show up in different ways. Some people it shows up with really being loud. Other people it shows up with a silent treatment that can last weeks. Take your pick. And how do you feel after that? How do you feel after you've lost your cool? Did it really feel that good? I know when I can get into the silent treatment, I just so am craving inside, like I'm gonna be silent, I'm not gonna talk. And I'm so craving somebody to break through that. Because I'm not happy. You're not happy. Nobody who does that silent treatment garbage is happy. It's not joy, it's not what God wants. 
I'm saying that comment, I'm specifically talking to the men here with that. That happens a lot. Guys seem to enjoy doing that a lot. We all do that a lot, but guys seem to have a special proclivity to the silent treatment. And, and we have to like work through that. We have to, we have to figure out ways to kind of break through that because it can lead again to these explosive parts of anger that because life didn't go exactly the way we wanted it to. You know, I had one at a number of years ago, and it's one I've shared in here before, but it's a prime example, I think, of, of what can happen when we get a little bit off of the rails. Uh, you know, I have a beloved son, and, and we, we, you know, he had wanted to go fly fishing. I did a wedding with a guy who was a professional fly fishing guy. I thought this will be fun, so we got fly fishing. I've never done fly fishing. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I grew up pond fishing. Um, so it was the first time of me using waders and being out there in the, on rocks, you know, walking on rocks. And they give you these special waders with little metal cleats on the bottom. And so I'm walking along, we're fishing. And I fall, my waders fill up totally with, 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 with water, and my son starts laughing because he sees how funny it is. Now, when your waders fill up with water and you go from being 220 pounds to 593 pounds, um, it was not funny. And I was just thinking, just let me reach him. Just let me grab him. And not that I would have like punched him or anything, but I would have given, you know that mall mom pinch where you pinch your kid right on the back of their arm? you know, to give them that message, like, they better cool it. That's what I wanted, I wanted to grab them like that. And, and you know, just like, just instant, visceral ang anger, because this wasn't part of the script. The script was not me falling, creating a family story that still gets told at least yearly. And, and, and the funny part of it is that the, the, our fishing guide, he said, well, Chuck, did you fill up? I guess that's the word when you fill up your waiters. It's actually a term for it. Do you fill up? Yes, I filled up. And then, and then there just was just this like, wait a minute. This is really funny. <laughs> I just fell on my face in the middle of a creek in front of my son. What's the model I want to give him? Do I want to give him the model of the angry dad who just can't wait to grab their kid because life didn't go the way their dad thought it should? Or could I join my son? My son wasn't laughing at me. You know, he was just laughing because it was funny, and it was. Or could I just instead just have some humor, have some fun, have some joy. Joy is one of the primary, one of the primary, one of the primary fruits of the Spirit. That's from Galatians. So I think we go through that again and again and again. I think that is what part, at least, of the work of repentance actually is. Now let's take a look at, at some things that the Bible says about it. This is from Matthew, this is from the Matthew chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist, which he's sort of the guy who's sort of setting up Jesus's public ministry, he was Jesus's cousin. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, in other words, rethink, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is who has spoken, this was who was spoken of through the prophets, a voice of one, Calling in the wilderness or crying in the wilderness, you'll see it translated that way sometimes. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. And that whole idea of for the kingdom of God has come near. Now there's, there's two ways to say that. You'll hear the end is near, right? Here's a New Yorker cartoon. The end is near, guy walks up and says, can you be more specific? Yes. So, so I think a lot of the time, like when we look at the end is near, boy, I, I see it all the time. People just, they quote this and they use it in such a dire way. Like, the end is near. You do get that. Everything's about to blow up. 
Really? That's what Jesus is talking about here? You know, repent. Which again, if you think of like, feel guilty, shame, feel all those things because the world is about to explode in a, in a dystopian blow up. You know, just even you look at how many movies have a dystopian feel to them now. That tells you a lot about where we are as a culture. But that's not what it's talking about. Repent, rethink. Another way you could translate is because the goal is nearby. It's not the end is like chronological end. It's, it's you look at the word, the end, the end means like the point, the thing. I mean, I think this is John the Baptist going, look, dude, rethink. Because the goal is near. The goal is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not there and then. It is there and then, but that's the there and then that we get to experience here and now. That's so beautiful. That's what repentance is all about. It's all about saying, look, the kingdom of God is right there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Like right there. And we just, our job just to open the door. Yesterday, beautiful, beautiful lunch yesterday. And just watching this lunch and watching this interaction, people having interaction with the you know, family, having interaction with, with my granddaughter. It just is like in this one person sitting beside my granddaughter and he just, you know, he just touches her nose and she gets this big smile. It's just like, ah, oh, that's the kingdom of God. It's right there. It's right there. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. Rethink, because the kingdom of God is always that close. It's always that close, even on a rainy Sunday in April. So what, is that, what does that mean, folks? Well, well that means that, that, that we've got to get that selfishness out of the way, that self-centeredness out of the way, because if we can do that, then, then that, 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 that reality of what is just is. Like, I say this a lot. It's so important. So important. The good stuff is the default. The bad stuff is the noise. The good stuff is the default. That's why in, in Christianity, it's so much about getting rid of the bad stuff. Because the good stuff, will. as soon as you get rid of the bad, the good will be there, I promise you. If you get rid of the anger in your life, a lot of good stuff's going to happen. You get rid of the idea for vengeance or revenge in your life, a lot of good stuff's going to happen. You get rid of the anxiety because you can't control all things in your life, a lot of good stuff's going to happen. That's why the gospel is good news. As I see it. Because we don't have to create the goodness. The goodness is there. God wants us to experience it. And there's this force that is out to do it. Now, now, if it is really a divine impossibility to satisfy the human ego, but it's not a divine impossibility to help us move the ego aside. Simple prayers. Less of me. More of you. God. Let go. Let God. Simple things that are just these, these deep reminders where we can actually get really clear, like, yeah, I can't do much about the evening. Like, I, I can't do much, but I know that if I'm prayerful, that God will help me do that. Like, that's, that's what God, God, of course, will answer that prayer. I mean, just imagine, imagine you say, okay, God, 
I'm giving my anger up and I'm giving it to you. I'm powerless over it. I'm giving it to you. This chair stuff, this trying to orchestrate everything, like, God, I have this script. And the places where that script is not healthy, please show me those things. And then I'm just going to give it up to you. God, you take it. You take it. Beautiful piece of that, folks, is then we start to have this idea of a complete awareness, a complete awareness that starts to shift things. Only when you have complete awareness of your own selfishness can you take responsibility for it. And, and that's not like some big, again, it's not a dire thing. It's just, it's just a reality thing. You know, that, that I, I can just, I just have to take ownership that, yeah, I'm, I'm selfish, you know? Like even right before the service, I go out there and there's this nice little bowl filled with little snacky things. I'm thinking, how many can I put in my pocket? You know, at that moment. That's, it's like this divine impossibility. Again, like I, that's what my ego wants to do, but, but I can turn that over. But I have to be really clear. I have to be able to say, yeah, I'm aware that I'll do, I'll do those things. I won't try to excuse it. I'm just aware that's part of my life and part of my life experience. And then what we can do, folks, is then we can do the things that do the work. And this is, there are many lists you could have about how to repent, how to rethink. Many, many lists. You could be a 12-step person. That's a great one. Um, there's, there's some Christian denominations have seven steps. Uh, if you look at New Church Theology, there's a bunch of different lists. I'm just going with one from New Church Theology that talks about four steps here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this and, and just talk about what this kind of stuff means. So the first part here, self-examination. So, so self-examination, what does that mean? Well, well, that means like I'm really going to make a searching and fearless moral inventory to use 12-step language. I'm really going to look. Yeah, this is where I'm selfish. This is where I might be bending the truth a little bit because there's something really uncomfortable that I don't want someone else to hear. This is where I may be making it all about myself. This is where I might be taking something that's really not mine to take, cheating a little bit around the edges. This is where I might need to candidly say I'm drinking too much or I'm drugging too much. That's that, that basic self-awareness. And it's, it's, I love the words, it's searching and it's fearless. These are just part of our lives. And folks, like, don't, don't ever think that the Bible is like going to be this big litmus test that if you bring your faults to, that the primary thing the Bible wants you to learn is guilt. No, the primary thing the Bible wants you to learn is from characters who would say, yep, me too. The Bible's about this wrestling when we get really aware of where we're falling short. And then comes the second part, confession. Now, many churches, like I think of the Catholic Church, is this beautiful, beautiful tradition of, of confessing your sins to a priest. And uh, a confession really is a good thing. You know, it's, it's funny, all these years being a teacher, and I was a teacher, most of my career has been a teacher. I've been a pastor for uh, 17, 18 years, but the vast majority of, the, of, it, of my life, my work life, has been being a teacher. And I still will have students to this day, on occasion, like once a year, once every couple years, who will come to like, to like come clean on something that they did. And the fact is, I don't remember what they, <laughs> what they did. And, and yet I know for them, it's really important to say it. 
to say something they're sorry for. And that's a good thing. You know, I, I just, I just had a, I just had a, uh, you know, I mentioned this oh, probably a couple of months ago. You know, I just had a student recently who, who came to me in, in the 1980s, 1988 actually to be specific. Um, I had turned him in for, for being high in my class and he got away with it. And here he contacts me about six months ago to tell me, yeah, I was really high. You know, I think that's pretty darn cool. You know, not cool that he was high. But cool, cool, that, cool that, cool that he would, he would see that, right? Cause, cause that confession. And what do we confess to? Well, we confess to God. We confess to ourselves. And then this is probably the hardest part. We confess to someone else. And again, any of you are welcome to do that and call me up. You can, you can schedule an appointment off of our website. And if you just want me to listen, yeah, I'll just listen. No judgment. Just be like, yep, that's good, good to hear. Good to get that off your chest. Cause that's where confession is all about. And then comes the prayer, which is where we, we pray for the willingness and then the power to carry it out. The willingness and the power to carry it out. Now, the ego is interested in willfulness. Our soul is interested in willingness. Big difference between those two. Willfulness to willingness. So, so I can pray, and I can pray for like, like this willingness. And why do we have to pray for the willingness to change? Well, because we don't want to. <laughs> That's why we have to pray for it. I don't know too many people who willingly want to change. We're usually forced to change. And, and we can just pray for that willingness and then pray for the power to carry it out. Like, okay, God, just give me a knowledge of your will, what you would like me to do, and then give me the power to carry it out. And then it becomes not about our script, it becomes about God's. I mean, it's, it's an example I use all the time, folks, all the time, because I think it's so powerful, powerful to, for all of us to remember Right? There's probably, for most of us in here, somebody who you, you're thinking you have to clean something up with. right? And we get all in our head about it, and how will they hear it, and how will they, will they still like me after it? Well, just reverse roles. Imagine them coming to you, whoever they are, like literally, put in your head, who are they? Imagine them coming to you and saying, look, I want to clean this up because I was wrong what would your heart reaction be? Isn't it interesting when we play it the other way and we think like, okay, how will they react to me doing that? We're never thinking like, oh, they'll be gracious or they'll be understanding or they'll be this, that. You know, what we think is that, well, they won't be gracious, they won't be understanding, they'll be angry, and somehow they'll think that they were actually right. And I was wrong. It's not how people work. And that's why, again, with, with, that, with that prayer for the willingness and the power to carry it out is so important. And then the final one, folks, is where we actually start a new life. We actually start a new life. Repentance, reformation, regeneration, three big R's. Repentance is where we rethink. Reformation, reform, that's where we restructure our lives. And then God comes in and our heart over time, doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time, our heart of stone becomes a deep heart of flesh. I mean, just imagine with this new life, folks. Like, imagine somebody just, and this, this is a really tricky one. Um, imagine somebody comes at you with a lot of anger and a lot of energy and a lot of judgment about who you are. And they might not be right, 100%. But usually when, when people come at you like that, usually they're at least a little bit right. <laughs> I mean, that's the uncomfortable truth, at least a little bit. 
Maybe only 5%, but you got to honor that 5%. And just imagine, without being snarky, without being sarcastic, without offering a tone, you just said, you know, I hear what you're saying. You might be right. I might be selfish. I might have said things that I just, I wish now I hadn't. Or I did say things I wish now I hadn't. Just see how disarming that is? That's what real reformation looks like. That's where we restructure our lives in certain ways. And it just, that, that, those little disciplines make a huge difference. So, so those, those are the four there, folks. And then what happens is then we start to write brand new stories here. Beautiful stories. I want to share with you this one. This is, this is an autobiography in five chapters, and it's sort of an autobiography of how, of how repentance works. I love this. I love this. I'd highly recommend if you're at home, take a screenshot. If you're here in our audience, please capture this with your phone. Act one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Act two, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Act three, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. Notice the shift here. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Act four. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. In act five, I walk down another street. That's good theology right there. Beautiful theology right there. Because that's so much, folks, what, what we're talking about is, is, is it's, it's like a, this is so hard to describe. Words are not going to work for this. So just maybe a sense of it. You know, that whole idea of walking down a different street, I think a lot of the time we think that repentance means we can go in there and we can wrestle with the thing. And as long as we wrestle with it, but a lot of the time if we're wrestling too much with that thing that we're wrestling with, a lot of the time it will win because it's more powerful than we are. There is something to saying just walk down a different street. I mean, a silly, a silly example would be if you struggle with alcohol and you think that the best way to get over it is to keep on going into bars just to test your willpower. Bad idea. <laughs> think about walking down a different street. What does it look like not to go into a bar? Not what does it look like to wrestle with the temptations of a bar? Because there's just some things like we just have to avoid. I know for me, food is a constant one. So I don't like keep potato chips in the office. That's simple. It's like I have to go down a different street. That's the power of this, folks. And then and when we start to see that, we can, we, can see, we can see what God is trying to do. This is a beautiful line here about what the Lord is doing. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then this beautiful line from Isaiah. 
Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Just you, you the Lord, like kind of gathering his friends together, which you are. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. There's incredible beauty and power in that, folks. Because this is what God is doing. This is the process. We need to do our part. Repentance, reformation, and then God does his part, which is regeneration. Heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh.
Good morning, New Church Live. Um, it's Angela here, and I just wanted to encourage you all to consider setting up a reoccurring donation to support New Church Live. We are so uh, appreciative of the generosity of this congregation and all the ways you show up and support us. And one of the best ways to do that is to set up a reoccurring donation and to make small incremental donations throughout the year um, to have a big impact. So the best way to do that is the same way to donate uh, one-time donations. You can use the QR code below um, and it'll take you to our donate page. You can go to our website, www.newchurchlive.tv and there's a donate tab or you can text the word New Church Live, all one word, all lowercase to 77977. And all of those places, there's an option to set up a reoccurring donation and you can set it up at any frequency you want for any dollar amount you want. Um, and it's just a great way to provide sustaining support throughout the year to support all the operations and all the things that happen here at New Church Live. So you, we will hope you'll consider making that donation, setting up that reoccurring donation. And if you have any questions, don't have hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy to help you um, in any way to set that up. So thanks everyone. Thank you, Angela. Boy, I love that song. You know, the, the idea, the question here, right? What does repentance look like in the end? Well, I love that line that, that Will sang. What a beautiful song. And he said, maybe it's just about amazing grace. Maybe I can let it out. Amazing grace. Maybe I can let that out. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is about a certain permission. A permission from God to you to be who you were intended from all time to be. Like, that's good stuff. And it's, it's fascinating, right? Because it, it can get so, we can get so in our head about it. And then even that, <laughs> you know, if you've moved that list of repentance onto your script, that now it's going to be like, you know, you got to be careful, right? You know, and, and, and these are things people have wrestled with for millennia. My, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, and it's part I mention all the time, John the Baptist, this guy's out there preaching repentance. Some people come up to him, they're like, whoa, how are we supposed to do this? This is heavy stuff, dude. Like, how are we supposed to do this? How can we make this work? Help us. And John the Baptist goes, all right, repentance 101. Let everyone who has two tunics give one to someone who needs one. Think about that. That's genius. Everyone who is two of something, give one away. Not big theology, not big and heady, but this, but this core belief that is, that is like as we put ourselves into the flow of giving, which means, again, to give away a tunic. That means you have to know where the needs are. You have to know your neighbor well enough that you can know where to help. If you look at tunic figuratively, it could be any number of things. You have to know them well enough to know that what would actually be help. And sometimes the help may be actually saying something hard. Maybe actually doing something hard. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's actually saying the hard thing and letting go of that we need to be liked or loved. At least for that moment because this other thing is more important. But it's where we're really able to truly give. That's repentance, that real deep ability to truly give. And then that new heart, that new will takes over. This is from the book Secrets of Heaven. Love for others forms the regenerate person's new will, their new heart. So love comes center. 
And then in a beautiful play of words, then when we admit, we are admitted. That idea that when we admit, we are admitted. This is from James Finley. When we admit, we are admitted. When there is an admission, there is an admission to play on words even more. There's, there are a few things that will connect people as well than when we admit to, that we're flawed, that we don't know, that we're unsure, that we need help, that we can't do it ourselves. Folks, just, just imagine somebody coming to you and saying, imagine if you have children or a niece or a nephew or, or somebody near and dear to you, and they, they come to you with that admission, I, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? I know you. And I know the people in this congregation would jump to it. And why is that that, that 100% of the time response? Ready for this? Because that's what we know God does. Just that little admission. And God rushes in to help. Incredible power when we start to see that. That again brings that kingdom of God near and close by. It's not that the end is near, it's that the kingdom of God is near. We start to do that, when we're willing to do that kind of work. And then life, folks, what it becomes, it's, it's, it's not passive. Life is not, it's not that we live passively, but we just start to live without all the weightiness of life. Like if you think of, think of, of problems as just these barbells or these iron weights or rocks or whatever you want to say, and, and because it's a problem, we just keep on piling and piling it up. And it's not that repentance makes all those problems go away. It just means they don't weigh as much. There's less weight. But it doesn't make us passive. In a way, it may actually make us more effective. I mean, just I think of a simple example. Here's an extreme, but if you have something that you know, a challenging thing you need to do in your life, it's a challenging thing. You know this is hard. It's a hard conversation or a hard action to take, whatever it might be. How would you act if you really let go of your need, your self-esteem needs, to just do that thing because you were committed, as we said last a couple of weeks ago, because you were committed to the relationship, not just the person. And you knew that the only way for that relationship to be healthy was, was, was for this to happen now so that 10 years down the road, it's a healthy relationship. See, that kind of letting go is, is, is powerful. That's, the kingdom of, that's where the kingdom of God can come very close. And then what starts to happen, folks, is, is then, then we shift life into this totally different way. So instead of being there with the script, arranging the chairs, we start to see that we're all in it together in this beautiful way. I'm no longer trying to arrange everyone's chair and everyone's role. I think when we get to that place, we can be curious. We can be open. And I'm going to use this word not in a romantic sense at all, but I think we literally can start to be in love. 
At New Church Live, we're, we're so privileged. We have a number of groups that, that get together. Some of them get together online. Some of them get together in person. There's a couple groups that I'm part of that are just dinner groups. We get together for dinner like once a month. Very fun groups to get a chance to have a conversation with. And some of these, this one particular group, it's a hybrid group. So we meet in person, eat good food, and then we have some people join us online as well. And uh, you know, this one person got through to the end of it, and then she sent an email out to the group yesterday, and this is my dear friend Rosita, and this is what Rosita had to say. So she, after we'd all talked, she said, so many lessons. Thank you for being such generous messengers. Feeling very grateful that God handpicked all of you as teachers for me. That's good. That's good. See, that's the kingdom of God right there. We're all in it together. Joe and Jane bag of donuts, <laughs> you know, doing the best we can with, with life as it is. And that, that brings a joy, a joy around repentance, a joy around love wins, a joy around the way life can look. So the, the takeaway, folks, the takeaway for this, for this series, really, is honor your commitments. Take at least a little bit of time to think about what are your core commitments. Share them with somebody. You can share them with me. What are your core commitments that you find really, really bring life to your life? Because that's what I guarantee you'll be known by. And allow one of those commitments to be consistently doing the work. Because we do this work, and it's, it's just in a cycle. We just keep on doing it. But friends, it's not like work like drudgery. It's, it's work, and the work is really good. Because the work is about more and more love in your life. It's not going to happen overnight. But, but it happens over time. Yeah. And I'm just going to close it with that. So live a committed life. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us for this series. And next week, just so you know, next week we're actually going to have a special one-off on baptism. We're having an online family from Western Pennsylvania will be here to get their, their youngest baby baptized up here on stage. So we hope you can join us for that very special service next week at New Church Live. So with that, friends, I'd warmly invite you to join me in a final prayer, final meditation. What I'm going to do is, is we're going to do a little prayer, and then I'm going to offer the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll just have a moment for a little meditation and close on our final song. So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to remember the work, our commitment to the work, the work of repentance, the work of rethinking. The work of being able to turn things around. The work maybe where we even get to a chapter five, as it were, a chapter five where we actually walk down a different street. Help us, Lord, as well. Help us to make that searching and fearless moral inventory. Help us to admit, to confess those places where we are falling short. Help us to pray, to pray for your help pray for your guidance, to pray for a willingness and the courage to carry out what your will is, not ours. And Lord, especially we pray for this. We pray for home. We pray for that place deep in our hearts and deep in our friends' hearts, that place of home, that place of homecoming, that place of peace, that place of shalom, the place from where repentance truly happens and the place we come back to again and again. 
Thank you for your presence here with us this Sunday and be with us through the week ahead, the months ahead, the years ahead. In your name today we pray, amen. I am 
I can surrender to the peace I am. I am always loved. I am always loved. I am always loved. I. Will always love. Always remember the best you can. Try to remember you were always loved. Always love. You were always love. You were always love. Have a nice week, everyone. And remember, you were always love.